We're going to spend a moment uh, in that Remembrance Day is uh, soon upon us, and we take time in our services to remember those who have, uh, who have paid the ultimate sacrifice, uh, people who have laid down their lives, that we might have the country we have now. Very literally, we have what we have because others um, have done that. And families have sacrificed loved ones and so forth. There's been a lot of, a lot of sacrifice that has produced the blessing we know. Um, so we're keeping the kids in until after that happens so they can participate in this. And I'm just going to ask you to rise to your feet and we'll observe a minute of silence. And I want you to go to God in your thoughts and in your prayers and thank him for those who have done what they have done to allow us to know the blessings which we have. Let's do that now. Lord God, as we stand before you, we remember the sacrifices which have been made for us. And we thank you for those who have made it. And Lord, here we remember the power of sacrifice and the, the impact that it, it makes. Because people were willing to go and to confront an enemy, literally putting their lives at risk. Dealing with the horrors of war. Lord, we are people who are blessed. Blessed in a country where we are free. Free to worship you. Um, free to speak, Lord. Thank you for what you have done through the sacrifices of many. Lord, we think of the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. And we realize again, we are the ones who benefit deeply because of what he has done. And we thank you for that. And Lord, in this moment, we pray that you will help us to remember that we too can sacrifice our lives to you, our lives and love to one another, and out of that sacrifice will come great good. Help us even now, Lord, to walk in the steps of those who have gone before us. Help us, Lord, to Show what it means to love, even when it's hard. So we thank you, our God, for our blessings. And we thank you for those who have died uh, to produce them. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated and we'll invite our children to head away to their time. Well, if you're ever at a position uh, in life where you are 
speaking to somebody about what it means to follow Jesus, to believe in him, to have that relationship with him that is uh, life-changing. There'll be lots of things that you can dialogue over. But in the end of the day, there are very few things that it'll come down to, really important things that people need to know if they really want to come to that place where they want to step into a relationship with Christ. And I would suggest one of the questions that they would need to process is the question, who is Jesus? Who is this, this one that we follow? It's not really a question about who is God or do you believe in God. Uh, surveys have recognized year after year after year that around the world, the large majority of people believe in God. Of some description, I suppose, of their religion or of their um, cultural understanding. But even the devil, the Bible says, believes in God. That's not the point. Believing in God doesn't save us. The question is, who is Jesus? And indeed, is Jesus God? That's critical in terms of understanding. I'm going to preach for a little while on, on the identity of Jesus out of the seven I am statements that come to us in the Gospel of John. He said seven times, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection and the life, and so forth. And we'll march through those. I think it's, 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 it's good stuff for us to dwell in. And I want you to deal with this or interact with this material. Number one, saying, do I believe this? Is that what I believe about him? Number one. Number two, I want to, I want to ask you, what does this... What does this mean for my life? What is the relevance to my life in believing, if indeed you do, these things of Christ? Um, these statements obviously are Jesus, what, what Jesus thought of himself. He makes these statements and, you know, the first half of the gospel is about Jesus' life prior to the latter part of the gospel, which is about his, the week of passion, the week prior to his death and his death, his death, his death itself. Um, but the first part of this book is formed by these, essentially, I am statements and accompanying miracles and so forth. But Jesus is wanting to say to us clearly, this is who I am. Now, in my uh, studying of these things, I've kind of come to a surprising understanding that, that there are actually eight I am statements. I would never know that. I was always taught about the seven I am statements. You read about the seven I am statements. But there is another one... <laughs> that's not included in the typical grouping, such as uh, is common, but it's absolutely foundational to all the others. And it comes to us in John chapter 8. What's happening there is that Jesus is debating with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. I hope you realize how much he did that. You know, I mean, he just goes head to head, time after time after time. Very gentle, very loving, but when it comes to people who are misrepresenting the God of Scripture, now Jesus... Jesus wouldn't leave it alone. And he kept these discussions going, it seems, all the time. And, and he has just said something in this context. And these people hear what he said, and, and they say to him, uh, you know, just kind of baffled by what he said. They, they come along, and, and in the end, they ask him a question, and it is literally this, who do you think you are? Now, we've got to take that question at face value. Like, <laughs> what's the gospel writer wanting us to grapple with? Who Jesus is? Who do you think you are? And of course, Jesus then says who he thinks he is, not only in this context, but in these seven other locations. Um, and then Jesus talks about how he saw Abraham seeing him 
if you would. He saw how Abraham anticipated his coming and was pleased by it. And the Pharisees say, like, how can you, how can you say that? You're not even 50 years old. Abraham happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. No, thousands of years ago, likely. How can you say that? And then Jesus makes this statement that I'm going to read to you. And I want you to know what their response to Jesus is based on what he says. So John chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 58 and uh, 59. This is Jesus' response to that question about him being 50 years old and how have you seen Abraham. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. You see, because of what Jesus said about himself, because of how Jesus identified who he truly was, they wanted to kill him. <laughs> I mean, these people are intent on doing him in because what they know abs with absolute clarity is Jesus has just claimed divinity. And this all goes back to, to um, uh, Exodus chapter 3 and otherwise, of course, but Moses is being called by God to go to the Israelites uh, and to Pharaoh that the Israelites might be fleed, freed from slavery. And, and uh, Moses says, well, who will I tell them sent me? And this is the response. Exodus uh, chapter 3, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So this is the great uh, revelation of the name of God, if you would. This is Yahweh in Hebrew, right? I am who I am has sent you. Is God, I have always been, I am in the present moment and I will always be. It's the mysterious self-revelation of God. And when Jesus said these words before Abraham was born, I am, these religious leaders are infuriated. So much so that they want to kill him. Because in their culture, in their religious tradition, no one gets to say that. This is blasphemy of the worst order. And of course, Jesus slips away. You know, by the way, you will read and you will hear that Jesus never says these words, I am God. And that's true. He never does say those words. But he doesn't need to say the words because in that culture, it's absolutely clear what he's claiming for himself, and that's divinity. He's saying, I am God walking on planet Earth in this human body. Now, that's at the heart of our faith. That's central to what we believe about Jesus and what he is, who he is and, and why he has come, essentially. We're going to come back to this great I am statement, uh, actually Christmas Eve, but you know what? It's foundational for all the rest. This is the revelation of Christ as God uh, that, we will, that we will grapple with. And uh, he's going to tell us a whole lot more. He's going to tell us, listen, that he is the, the pre-existent, eternal Son of God, co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is what we believe about Jesus, not just a, a human being who walked planet Earth, not just a nice man who said profound things or even who loved God enough in order to die for God and for others. No, this is the eternal God in human form. I am. That's who I am. Now, with that foundational understanding, Let's go to what the first of these uh, I am statements and try to figure out not only Jesus' claim but all, in terms of identity, but also what that might mean for us. 
First one we're going to look at is in John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Now here's my challenge this morning. Me, the preacher who has to bring the word of God alive to you. Hopefully having real impact and application and the spirit move as I speak. Here's, here, here's my challenge. Many, many, many of you have heard this reality. I am the good shepherd since you were little kids. Probably taught it in Sunday school and I've heard it ever since as you've grown up. And the older you've grown, the more you've heard it. And the more you hear it, sometimes the less impact it has in our lives. My challenge is to you know, somehow help you come to recognize how incredible the statement is. Because it is an incredible statement when it comes to us understanding Jesus and his role in our lives. So we're going to do that. Let me first, though, before we really jump into the understanding of this, clarify. In the Old Testament, many people are called the shepherd of God's sheep, human beings. So that today I'm called the shepherd of this flock, right? Uh, such was the case uh, in Israel uh, before Jesus. But in the end of the day, primarily and ultimately, the shepherd of God's people is God. And I'm going to take you to a passage, Ezekiel, chapter uh, 34, verse 11. Uh, that says this. Uh, note, this is the third Sunday in a row, by the way. didn't plan it this way, but I'm quoting Ezekiel 34. It's a great text. But 11 and 12 say this. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As the shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. See, what the Lord says here and in numerous places is that God is the shepherd of the sheep. And what does Jesus say? I am the good shepherd. Do you hear that again, the claim to divinity? This is God who is speaking. So what does this, what does this um, passage mean for it? Well, let me read it to you first of all. John chapter 10. And we're going to read verses uh, 1 to 6 and then 11 to 15. It says this, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. Um, oh, I'm going to keep going, sorry. The man runs away because he is a hired man, hand, and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father know me, knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. See, what, what, what Jesus communicates here is essentially four things about what it means. For him to be a shepherd. And I'm going to apply it to, to those of you who are listening to me. Uh, at home or, or, or in this place. He says four things that he does as your shepherd. Apply this to your life, please. Number one, he says he knows us by name. In those days, a shepherd, you know, Palestine, uh, would name his sheep often. 
Oh, you know, floppy ears or whatever, you know. <laughs> it's like affectionate pet names. They weren't huge flocks like we have today. <clears throat> and he would know them and they would know him. So he, he would personally have a knowledge of them and, 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 of course, call them. Secondly, it says he leads them out. So they're in the pen and he becomes their guide, right? Number three, the sheep know his voice. Again, in this instance, and I've discovered that there was a type of sheep fold or a pen in a town, and what would happen is that the shepherds, all of them, would come at night after grazing their sheep, and they would all put their sheep in one pen. And in the morning, the shepherd would come along, and he would call his sheep by name. It's kind of like, you know, we name dogs, and we call our dog, and hopefully they'll come. This is exactly what's being referenced here. And the shepherd, knowing the sheep, knowing their name, the sheep, knowing the voice of the shepherd, would literally come, and the shepherd would lead them out, and off they would go. And he would, the sheep would follow to pasture or otherwise, wherever he would have them go. Um, and then lastly, it says the, the, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, the hired man does not do that. Uh, the hired man doesn't care enough to fight off predators. It's just not in him. He doesn't care that much. They're not his sheep. I'm not going to go up against a wolf or a wolf pack to protect these sheep. It's not worth it to me, but the shepherd will. The shepherd will fight to protect his flock um, because he loves them, because they're valuable to him, because they mean so much to the shepherd. So what's presented to us here is essentially the Son of God wanting to shepherd your life. And I want to unpack that today with you. Um, and I want you to begin to recognize how remarkable a thing that is. Let me say it again. The Son of God wants to shepherd your life. He wants to call you. He wants to lead you and so forth. And listen, just before we do that, I want to I further identify Jesus. Colossians tells us this. Paul is writing, but he says that Jesus is the one who created all things. Don't let that sit lightly in your mind or your heart. Jesus is the one who has created all things. You mean Interkip, Woodstock, Oxford County, Canada, this whole world? Yes. Well, why stop there? Think of the universe, which is filled with billions of stars and, 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 and distances that we can hardly conceptualize in our minds and which we are told by astronomers continues to be created at its outer edges. I personally think, I can't speak to it with any kind of biblical authority, that Jesus continues to create. And then, not only is he the one who is the creator of all things, but for all things... For him, all things were created, Colossians tells us. For Jesus, all things were created. Okay, I want you to grasp who we're talking about here. It's not simply the Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, who, who took children in his arms and you know, walked around Palestine and spoke the Sermon on the Mount. Of course that's him. But who is he? <laughs> He is the eternal Son of God, the third, the second person of the Trinity, co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the creator of all things for whom all things were created. That Jesus wants to shepherd your life. Now listen, if, if you're not going, you're missing something here. <laughs> like, if this doesn't start to strike you as a remarkable thing, Stick with this because God's got more to talk into your life to tell you. 
See, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And I am the one, I am the one who, who, who knows you by name. I'm the one who has created you. I am the one who wants to lead, your life, lead you through life. I am the one who is so close to you that you can learn to know my voice. We've had a whole series on discerning the voice of God this past year. I want to speak into your life so that you can know how to follow me once you hear me calling you. I am the one who has died for you. I went up against the forces of evil and I have overcome them. I have fought for you then and I will continue to fight for you now because I love you. You know, one of the things that when I get to heaven, I don't know whether you think about getting to heaven or not, but for a long time I've thought this, long time, many, many years. One of the things that I want to know, if I can know, is what often prompted the sayings of Jesus. Because so often you look at New Testament passages, particularly what Jesus said, and you can look at Old Testament passages and see great connection. <clears throat> I can't say with any authority because we don't know from Scripture, but I wonder if Jesus was had just read Psalm 23 before he said, I am the good shepherd. Because there's such connection between the two texts. It's remarkable. You know, I'm not going to read it and, and put it up on screen, but I'll just, I'm just going to march through this with you. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23 says. This is very personal. This, is, this, this takes us to a place of connection and intimacy with God. He's my shepherd. Understand this today, people. Personalize this. You've got a, you've got a shepherd you know, and, and, and who knows your name, knows all about you, and who loves you. And then it goes on to say that, that there, I, there's nothing that I lack, depending on the translation, nor I lack nothing. That's a phenomenal statement. Because, because we have this shepherd in our lives, there is never, in a moment, uh, never a moment in time in our lives when we don't have what we need. You know, again, just stop and, and dwell on that. Never a moment when Jesus isn't providing to you what you need. There's never a moment when, when um, you know, you don't have food to eat or, or where you don't, you know, you don't have a the shelter where you don't have the relationships that you might need or you don't have, you know, the, the presence and the comfort of God in your times of struggle and heartache and difficulty. Jesus is saying, I will provide for you. You know, <laughs> Dallas Willard has written, and, and he's a great author, and if, if you don't read him, I'd encourage you to, but you know, he said that because of this statement, we can live our lives without fear. And I read that, and I go, oh my goodness, we can live our lives and never be afraid? That's what he wrote. And I think it's, you know, it, it has incredible merit because we don't ever have to be afraid of not having what we need. Ever. Because Jesus is with us. It's just, you know, in this light, what it's being said is you really don't have to worry anymore because I'm with you. You're my sheep. I'm going to provide for you. Relax. And it says that he leads the sheep to various places, you know, the green pastures and the still waters to restore our soul. And he leads us in paths of righteousness, specific guidance to the places that Jesus chooses to take us. You know, going through the dark valley, place of fear, but we don't have to be afraid that I will fear no evil for you are with me. Listen, the shepherd is with us in those times of threat and those times of danger and he is ready to, as I've said, fight for us. He's ready to fight for you. And what goes on to say that he, he um, 
anoints my head with oil, representing of uh, nothing else, the blessing of the Holy Spirit, but he anoints us, honors us in that way. Uh, he gives us victory over our enemies. You know, he sets a table in the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over abundance. Not just a little bit, but abundance. And I said, surely goodness and mercy or love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And when that life ends, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is where the shepherd's taking us. I want to tell you, my friends, these things that are being identified here are remarkable. Do you know that this is the reality of your existence? Jesus present to you, knowing you, loving you, valuing you, providing for you, fighting for you, speaking into your life so that you know which direction to take. The eternal Son of God doing that for you? every single day of your life. You know, a, a psalm that I love and I know many people love when I go into a hospital, I've done it recently and I, uh, I'll read a psalm and pray with people, <clears throat> um, is Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from uh, the maker of heaven and earth, right? And then it's got this really cute, I think it's a cute, almost funny little verse in there. I don't know whether anybody noticed it, but I kind of have a little chuckle every time I read it. Because it says that the Lord does neither slumber nor sleep. You know what it's saying? The shepherd has his eye upon you and he doesn't doze off. Oh, there's my child and I love them and I, I'm ready to provide for them and to protect them and to fight for them. And God doesn't have a nap in the middle of the day. <laughs> Never. Because his eye is upon us. And he is doing what good shepherds do every minute of every day of every month of every year. You know, I uh, was thinking of these things this week, of course, and I thought of my own life. Um, and I just sat down and I, I may be led by God. I hope so. I want to share it with you now. But I, I started when I was a child and I kind of marched my way through my life. And I saw what the shepherd has done for me and how he's led me and how he's provided for me. So, let me start. Little Chris Little, six-year-old boy in Kilsyth, uh, Ontario, no, Kilsyth, Scotland. There is a Kilsyth, Ontario, but uh, <clears throat> that little Chris was a timid little guy, incredibly shy, like incredibly shy. Um, if anybody had even suggested the possibility that I would talk in front of people, I would have cringed. I wouldn't even talk to people then, never mind talk in front of people, right? And, and the reality is that that little guy had a lot of fear in his life for whatever reason. Well, at six years of age, my parents, my dad being a pastor, felt led to go to Canada. And, uh, but what happened is prior to getting to Canada, mom and dad felt, maybe dad particularly, I want to go to Northern Ireland, my homeland, and see whether God has a place for me there. He felt you know, it's my homeland. Should I serve there? So we went there and we lived there for nine months. Um, after nine months, the call to Canada remained and we moved to Canada and we lived, moved in with family in Toronto for a few months and it took a while for my dad to, to get a church and the call process to proceed and so forth. But we ended up after some months in Midland, Ontario, where I grew up. Um, and here's what I want to tell you. First and foremost, 
That was tough on me, I've realized since. Little, timid, shy, Chris Little, taken from everything he knew. All of his friends, there weren't many, but I had some. (laughs) Uh, Everything that that was familiar to me, everything that I suppose you would say uh, gave me a sense of safety, apart from my parents, thank goodness for that. But I was kind of ripped away from that and planted in Northern Ireland for a while and then come to Toronto and then to go to Midland. I was in seven schools in one year. And I think that would be hard on anybody, but like me? <laughs> it, was, it was tough. But here's what I want to tell you. I now know for sure that the shepherd was leading. Um, and I grew up in Midland and, and you know, um, went off to university and, and the education at seminary which followed is a blessing to me. The Lord led me to that and gave that to me. I went into the seminary and I was doing a Master's of Divinity degree, Master's of Divinity degree. I'm talking too quickly today. And uh, I, I kind of gravitated toward uh, uh, pr- primarily uh, focusing on pastoral counseling. And that was a three-year program, and then as you went along in the three years, you ended up in a third year, and I think there were seven of us who would sit weekly with the, ca- the professor of this program. A remarkably gifted man, uh, Rod Wilson is his name. And uh, we, in the whole program, but particularly in that third year, had to unpack our stuff. And God, my shepherd, began to open my heart, opened my mind to realize what was going on in my heart and to look at those fears and the wounds which I carried which we all carry. We all at times sat in that circle and broke down in tears and, and vulnerability. But as hard as it was, it was a beautiful experience. I actually went at the beginning of that year to the professor and I said, listen, I, I really want to lean into this and I think to do so I need, I need to uh, spend time with you. Would you counsel me through this year? And he did. And God began to open me up to what was going on in my heart and my mind. I was completely unaware of it in terms of the struggles and the fears and so on. Um, huge blessing to have, especially that one-on-one interaction with that man. Well, during those years, I met Heather, my wife. Um, shouldn't have looked over there. But, um, uh, like, I really believe with all of my heart. Oh, my goodness. Oof. Pull it together, buddy. I really believe with all my heart that God couldn't have blessed me more. Okay, I'm moving on to the next point. <laughs> but you got the point. <laughs> Talk about blessing, right? Like I, I honestly believe that. I mean, the person Heather is and how God brought me together with her at the time in my life when, when my heart was opening up and I fell in love and I s- sort of let someone in the crack, you know, and into, into my being and can't see anything on this page. It went forward from there um, uh, to me being led into various ministries, and the chronology is a little skewed, but you get my point. I was given uh, this job at Muskoka Woods, the camp that I was, I worked at for seven or eight or nine years, and, um, you know, I was in on the ground floor of, of this significant ministry being birthed and then built and, and I learned from the owner of, of that facility and other staff people the power of vision and how incredibly important leadership is and so forth. And I came to Interkip then in my next venture in ministry. And by the way, I couldn't have been led for my purposes to a better location. Um, and there's just this great connection that formed. And I had, you know, people, I, I, I said at Bill Chesney's funeral that that man 
as clerk of session was such an incredible support to me uh, and, and such a Like, I needed that. And Nancy with them. I needed Chris Little. I needed someone to play that role in my life. And, and they did it uh, remarkably. Um, and then, of course, the vision and the growth and the blessing that God brought. Uh, see, the shepherd was at work in all of this, right? He was leading my life in intimate, personal ways. He was leading me forward, guiding me, providing for me. And then I hit that burnout experience that I mentioned. I hope I don't mention it too much, but for me it was um, transformative. You know what? Now, as I look back, I recognize that the shepherd led me right into the worst and hardest time of my life. I didn't think of it then. I wouldn't have wanted to admit it then or even think about it then, but he did because it was in that place that he cracked open my heart and I began to see the, the stuff that was there, the, the wounds that were there, the need for healing and for growth, and Jesus brought it. It took time. It didn't happen in my five-month sabbatical. It took time. And then I was led into the Pastors of Excellence program, the whole Chuck Congram story, and you know Chuck and the blessing he's been in my life has been great. The shepherd was at work. And again, that program was put in place. The Lilly Foundation gave a seminary in Ohio a million dollars because so many pastors were leaving the pastorate because of their own stuff. They were getting tripped up on their own woundedness and brokenness and their own issues. So it's not about being excellent. It was being about broken and needing fixed. And God was at work. Uh, and the story just carries on. Uh, the growth that the Lord brought to me, the blessing. You know, uh, before I tell you, the, I guess, the main thing, but I, I thought about I've got, I've got a home that I've been blessed with, and I've never had financial worries. I mean, I've had other things to worry about, but I didn't have to worry about that. Thank you, God. And I've had good health. Thank you, Father. Um, but you know, in the end, what really has struck me is the people that God has brought into my life. You know, let's start with that uh, professor at, at seminary. Um, you know, move forward to a time when I was moving toward that burnout and, and I was introduced to a counselor, a prayer counselor, who led me to really start to grapple with this stuff and into intimate and powerful experiences with Christ of healing. Um, then the sabbatical itself and the way God touched my life. But then, you know, Chuck Congram and, 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 and the blessing of, of that whole thing. And I think, of, I think of people like Stan Cox as he came on board. And, you know, I developed a great friendship with Stan. And even after he retired and left us for years, I met regularly with him. He became a great friend and a great, um, a great blessing to me. I mean, when he died, I mean, I was really sad. Uh, you know, that was, that was a big loss. But more than anything else, my, my response to his death, if you would, was incredible gratitude to God for having blessed me with that man. I was so, so thankful. Um, and through it all, oh, and by the way, in the last five years, a spiritual director that I met with very recently, a man named uh, Mike Mahoney, godly man has just been speaking into my life. What a blessing. Oh, and I, and I sat back and I thought, God, how did that happen? These people who just blessing me and encouraging me and supporting me and speaking into my life. Never mind my parents. <laughs> the shepherd has led step by step by step. The shepherd has provided me with what I've needed. The shepherd has loved me. Over and over and over again, I've heard his voice and I've known what steps to take because he's spoken. 
and he's been good to me. Do you see the power and the significance of Jesus of having Jesus as your shepherd? God with us, God for us, God acting in love to us, God leading us, God blessing us. And I'm going to give you a few moments of silence at the end today to sit and if you wish to kind of scan your life and to think about how the shepherd has led you um, to recognize how he's guided how he's provided how he has taken you through those dark valleys some of which I've just described to you before we do that I, I, wanna, I want you to think about this if, if you look back as I did and you see the overwhelming evidence of having the divine good shepherd guide your life. You'll also be able then to look forward and to know with all of your heart that he will continue to lead you and he will continue to guide you and he will continue to provide to you and bless you and see you through those dark valleys and to fight for you when you need it. Doesn't matter the challenges which will come. It doesn't matter how much difficulty that you will engage because of the fallenness of this world and the reality of evil doesn't matter what the danger or the threat, he will be there for you and he will fight for you. And he will give you what you need to see you through. And in the end, he will bless your life all the way through your life into eternity. Do you see the power of having Jesus as your shepherd? One comment before we go to prayer. Some of you who are listening to me may not yet know Jesus as your good shepherd. Uh, I want to tell you that he can become that if you'll just receive him into your life. You know, all the way through the Gospel of John, it's, it's strong on this. It says that, you know, the Father has given the sheep to, to, to Jesus. So God's choice of us precedes our choice of God, but in the end of the day, we still need to choose him. And I'm going to ask you, have you ever chosen? In all, um, with all of your heart, have you ever chosen to follow Jesus? To invite him into your life? To ask him to forgive your sin? He's died on the cross so that he can do that now. He took your penalty. You don't need to deal with it anymore. You can be free of it and your guilt. But if you've never said, Lord Jesus, I, I, want, I want you to be the shepherd of my life. Just ask him, and he will. Invite him in. And you can do that in these moments of silence that I'm going to give to you now. But what I would like us to do is, is uh, just for each and every one of us to take a couple of minutes, maybe a little longer than what we normally do, but I, I want you to go to God in prayer, if you wish, I would ask you to begin your prayer by asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to your mind what the Lord Jesus has done for you. And start in childhood. And just move through the years and all the events and the experiences, the blessings, the dark valleys. And recognize what your shepherd has done in terms of guiding you and providing for you, fighting for you, and enabling you and blessing you. So, let's come to prayer now and we'll just give ourselves some time in God's presence and uh, 
I'd ask you to reflect on what the Good Shepherd has done for you.